The Seahawks bounced back in a big way on Sunday, routing the Detroit Lions 51-29 in a game that featured some of their best football of the year. If nothing else, the win provided some hope heading into what could be a tumultuous offseason. Former professional QB and current radio host Jake Heaps joins us to break down that, the art of quarterbacking, and a whole lot more. Let's light them up. I'm Jackson Bevins, and this is Cigar Thoughts. Welcome back to the Cigar Lounge. I am Jackson Bevins, and along with my wonderful producer, Mike Barwin, this is the Cigar Thoughts Podcast. Mike, how are we doing today? I'm feeling wonderful, which is very serendipitous because that's the word that you wrongly used to describe me. So first off, thank you for that. And Jackson, it's good <laughs> to see your face, my friend. I hope you had a wonderful uh, wonderful time over the holidays. I did. It's good to be seen, man. Yeah, it was a great holidays, and we're a bit snowed in up here in uh, Bellingham, Washington. Unusual amount of snow, but it was good. All the family is healthy and happy, and uh, really, really glad I got a chance to spend some time with them. How are yours, man? They were very low-key, and uh, yeah, Washington is a hellscape, an icy hellscape. So, Well, man, that is, that is true. It's been unseasonably cold even for us, but I am really excited about this show today for a couple of reasons. One is that we have probably the best performance of the Seahawks season to talk about, and the other is that we're joined by a downright awesome guest. The man sitting with us today exploded onto the scene as the quarterback of Skyline High School in Sammamish, Washington, leading them to three consecutive state titles en route to being named the number one quarterback prospect in the entire country. He eventually spent some time with the New York Jets and Seattle Seahawks and is now co-host of the Jake and Stacy show on 710 ESPN Seattle with Stacy Rost. He is Jake Heaps. Jake, thanks for making the time. Yeah, absolutely, Jackson. Thanks for uh, having me on. Been uh been anxiously awaiting to do this with you, man. When I found out that you were uh, starting your own podcast and everything, I was uh, hoping we'd get the call and be able to connect and do this thing. So it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, it's extremely kind of you to say, man, we've been looking forward to this all season. Really glad you're here. And I know I mentioned some of the highlights of your journey already, but if you can tell us a little bit about how you got to where you're at currently. Yeah, I, honestly, it was something that I, as a kid, I always dreamed of doing. It was something that in my mindset, I always wanted to be a professional athlete of some kind. And, you know, depending on the age, it could have been, you know, basketball player, uh, baseball player, you name it, whatever right, it was. Right. I just I just wanted to be a pro athlete uh, of some sort. And then around the age of 12 years old, I got really serious. And I was like, look, I know I want to be a quarterback. Uh, I think I've got some skills and, and uh, you know, unique in that way and the way I'm throwing the football compared to everybody else around my junior football leagues and stuff. And uh, let's see, let's see what I can do with this thing. And so went out and saw, you know, private training and that was really kind of unique at the time um, in terms of how dedicated I was with quarterback training and all that. And, and now it's just, that's the name of the game. I mean, that's just part of the culture and the fabric of, uh, high school football, uh, middle school football, uh, it just, you know, everything's exploded in, in the last, you know, 10, 15 years in that regard. But, you know, for me, it was a little unique that way. Um, worked extremely hard uh, to get myself into that situation and very blessed with the opportunity to play for two tremendous high school coaches and Steve Jervis and Matt Taylor, um, who, you know, the, uh, the best, you know, some of the best high school coaches, you know, in the entire West Coast. And, um, an amazing program that was already built before I got there at Skyline and we just ele elevated it. And, you know, that, that was the purest of pure moments of football for me. It was high school football. And, and, you know, I don't know how, you know, that experience was for you, but you know, the, the scholarships and the state championships and all that, the state championships were the ultimate goal. Um, and we were very laser focused on that, but the scholarships and everything else that was secondary. And it was a, it was amazing ride. It was so much fun. Um, but that was when it was at its purest and, uh, and then you go on to college and, and the pros and it's, you know, it's a crazy ride, man. It's one thing to play sports at a really high level, but the position of quarterback requires a lot of aspects mm -hmm. to it mentally, physically, uh, emotionally. I'm sure you are the de facto leader of your team and all of that kind of stuff. How have you seen the benefits of playing that position specifically transfer into the work you've done since you got out of the game? Yeah, it's it's a huge reason why immediately, even when I was, you know, pursuing my professional dreams in the NFL, you know, playing with the Jets and, and Seahawks and 
uh, CFL teams. Uh, it's why I started my own quarterback training business, you know, right out of the gate is because immediately I knew the impact that it had on me. And I, and I wanted to, you know, share the experiences that I learned, uh, the ups and the downs of my journey, things that I wish I would have known uh, had I gone through that process and, and the mentorship. And there's so much, Jackson, like, the, like seriously, the quarterbacks, it, who was your high school quarterback? What was, do you know, do you remember his name? <laughs> Daniel Visser. Daniel Visser. Okay. Do you know the mayor of Bellingham? <laughs> I do. I do. His name's Seth Fleetwood. Okay. Very but... <laughs> good. If I, it, very good. You're, you are of the, of the abnormal because I could, I could call right now my, my grandma, my grandpa, I could talk to a lot of people and ask that very same question. And most people don't know who their mayor is right, of their right. city, who is the most prominent official of their community, but they can rattle off in a second who their high school quarterback was. Absolutely. That is the influence and the power that a, a quarterback, even at the small, a smaller level from a high school perspective, has on their community. So it's not just on the field and the responsibilities that they have, but the weight that they carry off the field as well and the impact that they can have. And so that's why for me, the quarterback position is something that I am so passionate about and that I love and that I care about because it goes so much deeper than just the play on the field. It's the mental side. It's the, um, you know, it's the way that you can use your platform for good and the effect that you can have and change and the way that guys uh, approach their own daily lives, whether it's, you know, getting up, you know, encouraging guys to get up and do the extra work uh, or, hey, uh, don't don't drink, don't, uh, you know, don't drink, don't do drugs, you know, those types of things, because we've got we've got a goal, we've got a mission to focus on, um, you know, whatever, whatever the cause is, you know, um, standing up against sexual abuse and sexual assault in your communities, whatever it is, right? Right. They have the power and the ability and the platform to create so much change for the positive. And that is why it is such a cool and unique position. It, it totally is, man. I mean, I don't think there's another position in American sport that commands the level of immediate attention that quarterback does, right? Mm -hmm. There's not a position in my opinion on a basketball court, a soccer field, a baseball field that set, you know, a hockey rink that was like, Oh, you do this. And automatically, you know, it, it affects the way that people, end up talking about it you know what i mean and the quarterback doesn't yeah and i've said often uh, in the articles or and in, in even in the show a quarterback has to be more than just good at his job on the field you're, you're almost the ceo of the organization i think at the nfl level that's especially true do you, you feel that's accurate oh 100 i do yeah i mean you're the you're the face you're the representative i mean that's why you know the true elite great quarterbacks and the one that's in our in our town that we focus and pay attention to quite often Russell Wilson I mean he's getting paid 35 million dollars he's the second highest paid employee in the entire deal and I don't even know if you would count the owner as an employee but sure. right. <laughs> you know right. I mean it, it, that that's the way that you look at this thing I mean it's the owner it's it's the franchise quarterback and then it's everybody else that makes that whole thing work. And there's a reason for that. It's not just the product on the field, but what they represent off the field. And when you have a true franchise quarterback, it's, it's, it's the reason why, and you know, it might make people feel, uh, you know, upset or slighted, but it's the true reason why the Seattle Seahawks have gotten all these primetime games over the last however many years you can point to the star players of you know of the past of the Legion of Boom and Pete Carroll and all those things, but ultimately, if you don't have a truly elite franchise quarterback, um, you're not you're not getting prime time. You're not getting the limelight as much as you are, and and that's the power and command that that position has. Yeah, man. Well, you got a soft landing spot for that opinion here, and I know it's coming from personal experience. And and we're gonna dive into kind of the the nitty gritty of being a quarterback here in a little bit, but I want to get to this game on Sunday. It was frankly everything that I've been wanting to see from this team. And yes, I know it was against the lions, <laughs> but as I'm sure you can attest, there is no such thing as easy in the NFL. No, that being said, at one point, the Seahawks scored on seven consecutive drives, including five straight touchdowns. What is it that made this offense look so good? And how did it differ from what we've seen for most of the season? Well, what I think you saw and what you witnessed, and first off, I want to say that you're right. 
there is no easy win and you were able to make the Lions look like a a one of the worst franchises in the NFL but this is a team coming into this game Jackson that were playing good football I mean when you watch the film they were playing very good football they were building uh they've been competitive for most of the year they've they had like three or four blowout losses but Really competitive in all their ball games, and they blew out the Arizona Cardinals just a couple <laughs> they beat weeks ago. The shit out of them, man! That right? Was a bit, yeah. yeah, yeah. Got after them. Got yep. after them. And yep. and so this is a game that it, it, it's just a testament of when you execute and you take care of business and you play a good, clean football game. When you've got talent, like legit talent, this is what you should do. This mm-hmm. is this is how it should go. And it doesn't matter if it was the Detroit Lions or any other football team out there. When you execute at a high level. And it matches your talent level. I mean, you got the results that you got. And, and one of the things that I saw that right out of the gate, I had a good feeling about how the day was going to go was just pure execution on the second drive. You see, you know, run game, there's creases, there's lanes. Uh, you see Russell Wilson right away, uh, his second, third down attempt, it's third and 10. And they've got to play. You know they've got a you know play going on to the to the field side. Clearly, that is you know the number one area in which he's supposed to read. And then you've got Gerald Everett running a uh, he's running a ten yard, twelve yard basic route, a dig route essentially. Yep. And Russell you know surveys it. He sees that that concept to the right isn't going to be there. Goes through his progression, bang in rhythm on time. Gerald Everett right in front, boom. Here we go. And those are the types of things that when you get in rhythm right away for a quarterback like Russ and this offense and you're open up lanes for an explosive runner like Rashad Penny is capable of being, that's when this whole thing gets opened up, Jackson. That's when, you know, Shane Waldron and the Wizard and all the unique packages and 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 combinations of where you can place guys, that's where you start to see it come together. And there are 71 plays of good designed plays that I thought really encapsulate exactly who Shane Waldron is, what he's capable of doing, and why that fit was a fit from the moment that they hired him. And it just, you go back to Russ and all those other things, there just hasn't been rhythm. There hasn't been good, clean execution. And that, to me, is ultimately why you saw the offensive explosion that you witnessed against Detroit. Man, I'm so glad that you really focused on the rhythm aspect of it because I think it's a little bit of a chicken and an egg issue you know one of my frustrations with Seahawks offense doesn't matter who the offensive coordinator has been since Seattle's got there is Mm -hmm. they've played at an at best average tempo but typically they're in the the latter half of the league in terms of time between plays and just just the speed with which they operate with which they get out of the huddle all that kind of stuff how much of rhythm can you manufacture by saying, hey, this is going to be uh, something that we prioritize? And how much of it is, well, you actually got to get the plays executing first. Does does rhythm <laughs> beget execution? Does execution beget rhythm? Is it is it a dance between the two? It's such a great question. It's really a dance between the two because you can try and turn up the tempo all you want. Uh, but if you're not executing, if you're not converting on third downs, if you're not moving the chains, then that stops your tempo. That stops your rhythm. And if your quarterback is not in rhythm and feeling good about the way that he's seeing the field and the way that the ball's coming out of his hand, then you're also that's also going to affect things as affects things as well. For Russell Wilson, here's what we know about Russ. Russ loves to play in tempo. It's when he feels most in rhythm and it's when he feels most in control of the game. That's why he's talked about it incessantly for right, 10 right. years, right? Yep. That's why he's been so dang good in two-minute situations. It's not just the tempo aspect of it. It's the drill itself. It really, It's a totally different game when you get in those two-minute modes, uh, which I think people have a hard time realizing when they ask the question, well, why can't you just do two-minute offense? Well, it, it's because it's so different from the entire rest of the game. It's really a drill, not the you know main portion of a game. Defenses play differently. It's, it's entirely different. However, when you play with tempo, uh, by manufacturing it, by getting on the line of scrimmage quicker, by and you don't even need to snap the ball with you know 25, 20, 15 seconds. But if you're on the ball, Jackson, with 15 seconds, 20 seconds, and you force the defense to get on the field, it gives them this feeling of, man, I got to be on my heels here. I got to get my calls now. I've got to 
you know, I'm not allowed to substitute. So it just gives this impression and this feeling of, wow, these guys are playing fast. And that is what Shane Waldron and really Sean McVay is just a master of tempo, understanding different tempos, different forms of tempos, and how to create the illusion of tempo. And that's why Shane Waldron was so enticing to, you know, Russell Wilson, Pete Carroll, and this group. And unfortunately, you just never really saw all that come together. And a big reason why is just flat out execution. Russell Wilson playing uh, poorly himself, um, you know, having a hard time coming back from the finger, the offensive line really struggling for most of the year, and then not having a consistent running game, not having a consistent running back for the majority of the year. And that's been a huge issue. I'm going to circle back to the running game uh, aspect of this, because I, I think that a lot of the discourse surrounding uh, football, at least in Seahawks Twitter, is mm-hmm. is too dichotomous between passing offense and rushing offense. But, uh, you know, you mentioned getting to the line early, and this is something that I've been really hammering on for a long time as someone writing about this team. There was one play, my favorite play of that whole game, and honestly, might be my favorite play of the whole season, was the first touchdown to DK Metcalf. Mm-hmm. And on that play, they got to the line really early, like way earlier than they normally do. I think they were on the 13-yard line, and they had DK lined up wide left. They had two guys in the slot to the left, and then he was lined up like way out on the perimeter. And Wilson was able to get to the line early, see that they were in a pure man cover zero situation. Like they, yep. they probably telegraphed the fact that they were blitzing a little too early. But because he was able to get to the line so fast, he was able to diagnose that. And he motioned DK in all the way till he was behind the other two uh, receivers. And and I think he ended up almost being directly behind Eskridge when the ball was snapped, leaving mm-hmm. the guy that was marked on DK unaware of which way he was going to do. He wasn't able to get a clean read on uh, Metcalf's break. And he was able to just throw that trust ball up over the top. I mean, if you look at the still frame of when Russell Wilson let go of that pass, DK's not looking for it. Nope. The defender's not looking for it. He's throwing it with Metcalf still 10 yards away from where he's going to catch the ball at. And he throws it so high for such a short pass, knowing that he's got the defender frozen because of what he was able to do pre-snap. That to me, I'm just like, yes, this is what this team is capable of doing. I love that so much. Yeah, I I, I loved it too. And it really goes down to, um, really good play design. And then from there, it, you know, here's the thing, Jackson, when you come up to line of scrimmage with those types of plays, you have your play together and then you're anticipating, okay, is it one high? Is it too high? DK has all these different rules for how he's going to run the route based off of the look and based off of how the defender is trying to, you know, the technique that he's using. Everybody has those different rules. Then when you recognize it's cover zero and everybody has to be on the same page, you then go into your cover zero rules and everybody has to understand what they're supposed to do in that moment. So things change on a dime and it, it might change the play entirely or in that particular play, you could keep it on because you had answers and Russ knew his answers. DK knew his answer and what he needed to do. And if you notice, you go back and watch, you talk about, the trust ball, but also with DK knowing the situation, the moment he puts his foot in the ground, what does he do? He doesn't dig. He immediately looks up. He looks up at the ball because he knows Russell is going to do exactly mm-hmm. what he did. Mm-hmm. Um, and those are the types of things, Jackson, that for this year that I think kind of go underrated uh, or under the radar is in a new offense, in a new system, as much as you love it, as much as you think that you've got it down, there are going to be t- things that happen on the field for the first time. And sometimes you adjust to it correctly, and sometimes you don't. And it looks bad. And the I'll go two weeks ago, Chicago Bears, Russell Wilson throws a five-yard out to DK Metcalf, and it sails over his head, right? right? You're like, okay, finger. That's immediately what you say. Oh, it's the finger, right? But when I see it, I see DK Metcalf running a choice route, Knowing the history of the Seahawks, they don't run choice routes. They don't run choice routes with their receivers. They've never really given DK the freedom to run choice routes. And they're giving DK a chance to do this. And DK jukes the heck out of this guy 
leaves you know his jock straps on the ground right. and he's wide open but Russell is hesitant and he's double clutching because he doesn't know exactly how DK is going to run this thing leads to a missed throw and I'm not saying the finger isn't a, a, a factor in here but those are the types of things that when you've got your quarterback and you've got everybody in sync on the same page you get that cover zero beater touchdown beautiful ball man it looks gorgeous and then you get these plays where it's like, gosh, this is not what we're used to seeing out of Russell Wilson, out of this group. And I just think that along with all of the other factors that have snowballed here, Jackson, there's some of them where you see them working through the first, the first time they're doing this. Mm. And sometimes it isn't pretty, but you feel good that, or you don't feel good, but you, you're confident that they're going to figure that out. And they're going to go, oh, and Russell's going to go, oh, I see how he's going to run that next time. You know, and so there's there's been a, a number of factors that have snowballed into this thing. Sure, sure. So DK's first two years, uh, you know, or obviously in Brian Schottenheimer's system, and it seemed like he and Russell Wilson had a pretty immediate chemistry. I think one of the things that gets overlooked a lot of times uh, when you know, because we play Madden and your guys <laughs> run the routes that you that you draw up and then you you throw right. it. Uh, but there's there's improvisation is probably the wrong word for it, but there's options on a receiver's route. And I think that's something that gets lost in the conversation. A lot of times is, you know, I remember, I think I've mentioned it on the show before, but I remember talking with Michael Bumpus, who was a great high school collegiate wide receiver, spent some time in the NFL. And he said, the most important thing wide receiver can do is have a plan is Mm -hmm. to know that based on the coverage and then based on how the defense reacts to his first few steps, what he's going to do, depending on what he sees and the quarterback trusting that that's going to be the same. It seems like Wilson and Lockett, just the same way that Wilson and Baldwin, they, they seem to really be on the same page and like, Hey, if things break down or if the first read isn't what we think Wilson could trust where that receiver was going to go. It didn't seem like that was a huge part of the offense under Schottenheimer, but it seems to be a bigger part of the offense under Waldron. Am I way off base on that? And is it just a matter of, getting more reps in this offense for them to create the type of chemistry uh, that they can trust each other on some of these option routes. Yeah. And some guys just, some guys just have a knack for it, Jackson, to be honest with you. Some guys just have this uncanny feel when plays break down uh, receivers do. And I think that that was one of the unique traits that Doug Baldwin had uh, that Tyler Lockett has. It's just, it's just an uncanny feel of the game and where to go and where the space is and how to create that space. And for DK up to this point, they've, they've hit on big plays. I mean, you go back to um, their, their playoff game, I believe it was uh, versus the Rams last year, Russell scrambles out to his left, throws, throws the ball and and DK goes and runs the grass. And it's a touchdown. It's their only touchdown in the game. So they have moments, but I don't believe the feel is the same. Like that sixth sense that Doug and Tyler, have in terms of knowing space and where to run with it. And that's okay. That's fine. You, you want to see that eventually get better over time, but where you want to see Russell and DK thrive, if, if it's not, you know, Sandlot backyard football and you've got a guy already that can do that and you feel good about it. Well, DK and Russell need to be 100% in lockstep from, from a route perspective, from a, a coverage perspective, um, how am I going to trust him when he runs a dig route? How is he going to handle when I throw him a back fade ball? You know, just all these little nuanced things that m- will make Russell and DK's connection unstoppable. Like you see with Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams, right. their connection is just unstoppable. There, there is so much. It, it's it's part trust and it's part gained. And for Devontae, I mean, I remember watching early in his career. Aaron just being so mad at Devontae Adams at times because he wasn't doing what Aaron wanted him to do. Now it's just like he could go out there blindfolded and throw it and know where Devontae's <laughs> going to be. Man. Right? It yep. is. And yep. that to me is things that those are growing pains that Russell and DK are going through right now. And I think it's perfectly healthy. I, I, it's perfectly normal. What isn't normal is seeing the six game drought and lack of production for DK. Don't get me wrong. But going through some of these growing pains as a quarterback, elite, elite quarterback, elite receiver, I do, I do believe that you're going to see the fruits of that struggle come together. And in year two under shoddy system, 
boom, DK explodes. He takes that he next step. He did. Year two under Waldron, I believe you're going to see DK really you know, blossom in the same way. And that's to say that this guy's caught 12, what is it, 12 touchdowns this year? I know. He's got 12 third, touchdowns. Third in the NFL. He almost is going to catch, you know, hopefully he gets 1,000 yards to finish the year, but it's below his expectations. It's below yep. his standard. It's below his talent. And that, to me, even in a down year that he's producing that way, that's really positive to me in, in terms of the outlook of the future if this group all stays together. I think that, we spend so much time talking about the importance of certain relationships with this franchise, obviously between Russell Wilson and Pete Carroll, between Pete Carroll and John Schneider, between all three of them and ownership, et cetera. But we spend so much time talking about DK Metcalf, not only because he's great and he's very cool and all of that, but he is like one of those true ceiling raising players, right? Like Mm -hmm. there's just, certain things that if he becomes fully actualized, if he truly goes super say on, on what he is capable of becoming his wide receiver, it elevates the ceiling for this team in a way that other players don't have. And I think that one of the things that was most encouraging to me about this past game, like, of course, it's great to see three touchdowns to him, but yeah. all three of them were really Wilson just trusting that DK Metcalf was going to make a play. You know, he threw that lob that we just talked about against the cover zero, but that back shoulder uh, fade inside the left wasn't really even a fade. It was almost just like a go route on the sideline. And he threw it straight at the defender's head and let DK make the adjustment on it. And then on the scrambling drill, the third one where he's rolling right and whipping it back across towards the middle, just trusting that like that game winner against Minnesota last season, that he's going to go down and get it. And that that to me was was so, so encouraging. But I want to circle back to what you are saying earlier about the benefits of having a good running game. You know, there's um, an – and if, if <laughs> too often the idea of analytics gets stripped from context, right? Like mm-hmm. you either have to be analytics or – tape analytics or gut feeling and, <laughs> right. and it's not the case right analytics is a tool trusting your gut is a tool um, 100%. Uh, watching tape these are these are tools right but there's an argument that's been made and i'm going to oversimplify it a little bit for the sake of the discussion that you know you don't have to run well to be a good play action passing team or even a good passing team right just if you're a good passing team then you know that is just the more effective way to play football and you should do that more often But we've seen that when this running game gets going, how much better of a quarterback Russell Wilson is. And I don't think it's unique to Russell Wilson. In your experience, when the running game is clicking, how big of an impact does that have on your performance as a quarterback? Well, it takes a huge, it takes a huge amount of pressure off you first and foremost, right? I mean, when you know, you've got a back that can, and an offensive line that is really getting after it and going and, and, and churning up you know, four yard average per carries and can generate explosive plays for you. Um, it opens, it opens everything up and defenses have to respect the run. Linebackers have to respect the run. It makes your drop back game a little bit better. I mean, it makes everything better when you are a truly balanced offense and your personnel groupings and your tight ends and everybody becomes involved from that aspect. And, I think it gets lost in the conversation, as you were mentioning so often about all these debates, when the run game is a fundamental principle of football. It is such an important aspect. If I was to create an offense, if someone was to say, Jake, you're going to be the offensive coordinator, you're going to call plays. To me, one of the most important things that I want to have is an effective running game. I don't need to hammer it 40 times, but when I decide to run, I want it to be connected to my offense and I need to be able to generate positive yardage. You know, I want to be an average per carry of four yards. If I can do that offensively, I have created a legitimate threat that the defense has to respect. It makes my passing game better. Just flat out, it makes my passing game better. And it wears it wears down um, it wears down your your wears down your pass rush. It wears down uh, a defense on the other side and a, a true great running game really helps become the equalizer when this game has solely has just totally turned and modernized into a passing offense you've got teams that are modernizing themselves you've got great edge rushers you've got Aaron Donald in the league and the one true way to neutralize those guys to the best of your ability is when you run at them 
and when you really challenge them and, and, and attack them. And so I think that that part of it, when you talk about the run game, it opens everything up first and foremost. And then the other part of it is there's a physical element to the game of football that you can't lose out on. And when it comes to playoff time, there's a reason why more often than not, teams that win in the playoffs are because they're they're effective running the football and they play great defense. It's because there's a physical nature to it. And if you have those if you have those two connected or at least a physical running game uh, to match what you're doing from a passing perspective, it balances everything out. It doesn't matter the amount of attempts that you have, whether it's 15, 20, 25, 30, as long as it's effective and a team has to respect it, 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 it really, really helps the conversation. It has to do, I would imagine, with just the the accumulative damage that teams feel over the course of a season too, right? You get totally. four months. By the time you're playoffs, you're four months into a season. You've been through hundreds of car wrecks as a player. I mean, the ability to still win that physical element of football when it's cold and when everybody's beat up and teams aren't even putting on helmets in practice anymore because guys are limping through practices and all those yeah. things. If you can if you can line up and run the ball well, I imagine that it has a huge benefit not only to your ability to call plays and to execute, but just emotionally for your team. Totally. And that's why that's why when you saw Marshawn Lynch run the way he did, the sideline is juiced up. Right? Yeah. You look at that totally. sideline, totally. it was juiced up. You look at Thomas Rawls, Chris Carson. Now you look at Rashad Penny against Detroit and that run where he, you know, sidesteps and then breaks it out to the right and he digs his head. And, and I, I love the effort that he was giving. And then he does the Superman dive on the sideline and he's skidding towards the bench. Look at the look at the energy that's on totally. the sideline. They're juiced yes. up. Yes, they're happy for him and all those different things. But it, but that physicality that you have, it, it's, it, it's demonstrative. There's there there is something. It's demonstrative. a different response than if it was that twenty-seven yeah. yard run is different than if it was a twenty-seven yard completion, right? The, yes. The sidelines not losing their shit if that was like mm-hmm. a, a little corner route that you know Tyler Lockett had a twenty-seven yard completion in that game, beautiful over the shoulder catch, great throw. Yeah. Gorgeous play, whatever. Everyone's excited, whatever. That's not the same sideline reaction as you saw from the run you're describing. No, you're you're talking about a clap and a fist pump versus, you know, rallying around the guy, picking him up, you know, sh- waving the towels. And this is not saying that, you know, you need to run the ball all the time. But having that element to your offense is important. And that's where I think the 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 discourse about run versus pass, especially here in Seattle, Russell Wilson, Pete Carroll, all the stuff, there's actually more that they have in common in terms of understanding the game of football, but I believe the messaging that everybody else takes from that point, it just, it gets so off base. It gets so uh-huh. dramatized. And honestly, I don't think Pete Carroll really helps himself in his messaging of when he talks about running the football. Sure. Um, but, and and you know that in his heart of hearts, push comes to shove that he would rather run the football than throw the football. But I, I ultimately, you know, there really isn't a disagreement about the effectiveness of a run game. Really what it comes down to is how do you maximize a passing game with a elite level quarterback and get the most out of him? Because that's where your touchdowns come from. And that's where ultimately you take your offense to another level. And, you know, I look at Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers right now they are the model for what the Seahawks ultimately want to be. Totally. Like you could look, you, you could look at the St. Louis Ram, or sorry, not St. Louis. You could look at the LA Rams and Sean McVay and what they did. But in the glory days of Todd Gurley, when they had a running game, right? Not Sean McVay with Matt Stafford. I don't want that offense. I want the Todd Gurley offense. I want Green Bay Packers of the last three years under Matt Lafleur. There is a oh, physical man. element yes. of a running game. Aaron yes. Rodgers has play action. He has drop back. He's got everything available to him. Jackson, la- this last year, MVP, Aaron Rodgers, they were the seventh best total offense. They were the eighth best rushing offense in the league. And Aaron Rodgers, in the passing offense, ninth best. Yep. They weren't top five. They were ninth best in passing. So you have balance. You have connectivity. 
And still, Aaron Rodgers throws for 48 touchdowns. His yards per attempt is out of control. But they could win any style of game that you go into. And the one common denominator in all of that is an amazing offensive line that can do both. And Absolutely. right now, we've, we've never had it. I don't believe that there's a desire. It's never felt that way to really, truly change that. And when we've ever focused on offensive line, it's about give me a good run blocker. Give me J.R. Sweezy and DJ Fluker <laughs> and that yep. can't pass block to save yeah. their life in obvious pass situations. But yeah, they can, they can, you know, DJ Reed can take Indomitian suit to the watering hole. Like there has to be a focus on getting both because both matters, both matters. It does. And you know, I'm, I'm so glad you brought that up because we recently had Greg Rosenthal on and we played a little game where we, we said, would you rather have Pete Carroll versus, and we went through the other 31, uh, head coaches in the NFL. And, and one that was a no doubter for me was Matt LaFleur and, and Mike and I have spoken a little bit at length, even last week about our sort of organizational jealousy of the green Bay Packers. (laughs) And I know that's unpopular here. They're an easy team to hate. Seattle has played them a lot of times in the playoffs. So, you know, these two teams have ended each other's seasons a few times. There's, there's a rivalry, it seems between uh, the fan bases, who's better between Rogers and, and Russell Wilson, but I'm, I'm glad you brought them up and because they really do handle business the way that I would like to see Seattle handle the business. You've got a great quarterback. You've got a great wide receiver. You've got a couple of really good running backs. So just hammer the line and hammer cornerback. Mike, I know, I know you were saying the same thing last week. The, the way that I like to think about it, and it's very true for the Green Bay Packers, is having an effective running game is just the best way to diversify your offensive portfolio. Totally. To not to not to be especially punny here, but to maximize gains, right? Yeah. Like that is the <laughs> best way to have defenders on their heels, dictate the flow of an offense and dictate the flow of a game. Yeah, I, I totally I, I agree with both of you guys. And and when you think about it like that's why I say 71 plays against Detroit, a beautiful football, connected football. All yeah. of a sudden, you see DK li- lined up and, you know, one of the smallest plays, but DK catches a ball in the flat that's, I think, maybe for six, seven yards. And all it was was a play-action bootleg where DK is, you know, acting like he's run blocking, and then he goes and steps out into the flat. You don't see that from him. And now an offense has got or a defense has got to worry about Go ball, deep cross, uh, deep corner. Uh, now I got to worry about shallow crosses. Now I got to worry about the flat. Now I really don't know where he's going. I have no idea. And and so you can diversify your offense and and, and mess it up with personnel and and all of that. And that's what Matt Lafleur and the Green Bay Packers do such a great job of. That's why I've always and continue to remain a big believer in Shane Waldron. The results have not been pretty. Don't get me wrong. But I also think that Shane Waldron has stepped into a hornet's nest that that is difficult <laughs> of a situation as possible, um, and and he will be better for it if you can get Russell back to his form. If you can have a a a, a any semblance of an effective running game, uh, I I really believe that that is you know more of the style and the offense and the production that Shane is is capable of producing. Last point on the running game. Uh, you know, we've talked a lot about it from a philosophical, systematic standpoint. The actual dude toting the football, Rashad Penny, has mm-hmm. led the NFL in production for the last month at that position. And he has been a punchline for this front office since, really since he was drafted. I mean, he wasn't really on anyone's radar, certainly as a first round pick, or or even as one of the first few running backs off the board. But Easy to forget, he finished fifth in Heisman voting, rushed for over 2,000 yards uh, in his last year in college, and then he's just been hurt a lot. And look, it, it wasn't the right pick to take him at that point, but it's almost like the needle has swung so far towards Rashad Penny being bad that some folks are having a difficult time acknowledging what's happening right now. In the last, I think, two weeks, he has five carries of 25 yards or more, and there's like four running backs that have five carries of 25 yards or more all season. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's he's averaging over 120 yards per game. He's got five touchdowns the last four weeks. How much of this is the fact that Seattle's just 
blocking really well, how much of it is they played some less than stellar teams, and how much of it is Rashad Penny being a really good football player? Uh, Rashad Penny is a big topic for me because I view at this point you would be foolish not to try and bring him back on a Uh one-year deal, uh, incentive-laden, and really go for it with him and see what that looks like. Now, on the flip side, we just talked about needing a consistent running game. Rashad Penny, over his you know career here, has been anything but cons- he has not been consistent at all. He's been just wildly inconsistent with his health um, and you know the play and how he's been utilized and all of it. But I I believe that if you if you get a healthy Rashad Penny, he is showing you the talent and what he's capable of. Totally, he is showing you when he is healthy, truly healthy, that this dude can be really, really dynamic. And he's not necessarily my ultimate favorite back. I love the Chris Carsons. I love the Marshawn Lynches, the guys who get the dirty yards. And you know that in a bad situation, they can still make you right. Rashad's not necessarily that runner. But when he's running confidently the way he is right now, you see a little bit of the creativeness that he has. Uh, you see the explosive ability that he has. And that's why I will continue to hammer it until the cows come home. I don't care who gets tired of me uh, saying it and talking about it. <laughs> that is why your number one mission as an organization, please, for the first time ever, go after your offensive line and make that a top 10 group because Rashad, is, over the course of a 17-game season, is not going to stay healthy if you don't have a great running game, he reminds me so much of Sean Alexander. Like it's like, to me, it's uncanny in somewhat of their running style where they're not the most physical guys, but they're incredibly explosive. They've got their own unique style to them and they can be incredibly effective with obvious running lanes. Sean Alexander not necessarily the toughest dude on the block. This is a guy that trips himself up while he runs to preserve his body downfield because he doesn't want to take the extra hits. Rashad Penny, kind of the same way. And it's not to say it in a negative way. It's just that's who their style is. And so you need to invest not in maulers, but in guys that can really get it done and, and really can create run lanes for guys like Rashad Penny. And that's when you're going to see him really – show you over the course of a 17-game season that he can play like he's been playing all all month long. Eric Dickerson who? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I mean, and 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 here's the thing, there's a, a couple thoughts on that is one, you know, we I think as fans are still trapped in this idea like a lot of us grew up watching football in the 80s and 90s, I know some people listening even yeah. earlier than that, where you got your running back and you gave him the ball 25 times, 30 times a game, and you expected him to do that for 16 games. And you would have, I mean, uh, who was the the Falcons running? Jamal Anderson had like three straight oh, yeah. years with over yes. 400 carries. You know, he gave the ball to Barry Sanders and Walter Payton and Eric Dickerson and Eddie George and <laughs> Emmett Smith and these guys over and over and over again. And mm-hmm. The physics of the game have just simply changed the the speed and the impact and the change of direction. I mean, a lot of these running backs are victims of their own explosiveness. Their tendons just aren't holding up to the force created by their change of direction. So, you right. know, we, uh, it, I think it's important to not center the conversation around Rashad Penny or really 95% of the other running backs in the NFL around whether they can be a bell cow that can get 350 touches. I don't think that's the goal. The nice thing about a player like Rashad Penny, and I'm not expecting him to get 20 plus carries a year for a 17 game season. If that's your standard for re-signing a running back, you're just never going to re-sign a running back. The benefit he gives you is you don't have to hold a block for two seconds to spring Rashad Penny. Yeah. All you got to do is hit your ankle and hold it for a, for a blink. And Penny can, when he's running confidently and trusting his reads, he can hit that, and then he's really special once he gets through that first line. Whereas exactly. Chris Carson, Chris Carson does not have – he has like three career runs longer than 30 yards. That's not who he is. That wasn't even Rash- or, uh, Marshawn Lynch's game, honestly. His long runs, you know, the two beast quake runs, he had to break like 76 tackles <laughs> on those, you know? He's yeah. not juking anybody. He's not outrunning anybody. And 
and neither is Chris Carson, and that's totally fine. Those first five yards are the most important five yards, but the thing about Rashad Penny is he does give you the true home run potential, and I do hope they bring him back on a one-year deal, and even... We just don't know with Chris, a neck is a big deal. We we don't know with Chris it Carson. Is. So so I think that you know bring Penny in as part of a timeshare. Get your Aaron Jones, AJ Dillon action happening. I I think that really yes. uh, kind of is the vision moving forward. Hopefully, and for the first time in a decade, they've got a bunch of money to spend, and I hope that they invest it in. The offensive in running line. backs, only in running backs. <laughs> <laughs> but but also, here's the thing. So much of the discourse about Seattle's bad season, record-wise, is, oh, they don't have the top pick. It's so true. But you know what? They have top picks at every other round in this draft. Amen. They're going to pick fifth, sixth, or seventh in every other single round. There is an advantage in that, and I would love to see them hammer the line. One thing before we move on from the Lions game I know I said earlier there's no such thing as easy in the NFL, but it was the Lions. They are 2-12-1. and one. Yeah. How much of what we saw on Sunday is sustainable, and how much of it is the product of just playing a team like Detroit? Well, 50 points is a product of playing a team like Detroit. I'll tell you that right now. I mean, expect them to have that explosiveness and, and Rashad Penny, 170 yards and, and all that. I mean, look, it, it, it's a total product of the team that you're playing and, and just truly being – more talented than they are. Um, and so that's why games like the Rams and the Arizona Cardinals to finish out the year are going to be very eye-opening. And, and I call them revealing moments, right? These are revealing moments and a peek into really who you are from a roster perspective, um, from an execution standpoint, how players currently are playing and, and, and where they're really at at the current moment in time. Um, and I, I believe that that's why I am heavily invested in watching this game against Arizona because now the offensive line is going to get challenged. Russell Wilson's going to get challenged. Your defense is going to get challenged, who, oh, by the way, got pretty blown out the first time you faced him with Colt McCoy and without DeAndre Hopkins. Now you get Kyler Murray, and uh, you've got you know Chase Edmonds back, and you know, so I'm going to be very curious to see what that looks like, right? Um, there's a lot of factors in that. And that to me is, this is a good barometer to see where your roster is at. And I believe it will be revealing, hopefully not totally in the negative, but I do believe you're not going to have the same vibes and the same feelings that you are after the Detroit game. I just don't think that will be the case. And um, what I do hope that you see is you see an effective run game, you see Russell Wilson play well and play just clean. All, all I want is just a clean football game against a good quality opponent for him in the worst way. And that really is what I'm hoping to get out of this game. And, and defensively, you, I, I, I really don't know what to take away from the defense right now. What do you build off of moving forward? Cool that Carlos Dunlap's playing great. I guess you could look at Jordan Brooks. You could look at Daryl Taylor. Those are the two guys that you look at. But outside of those two, I mean, like, what, what are you building? You know, I, I don't really know what they're building and what they can build off of. So uh, those are kind of my main takeaways or what I'm looking for as I evaluate and watch the game versus sure. Arizona. Before we move on to the Arizona game, I just wanted to let you guys know a statistic um, that was tweeted out by Justin Rogers, who covers the Lions for the Detroit News. He said that uh, the Lions have played 877 regular season and playoff games in the Super Bowl era. And Sunday was just the seventh time that they have allowed 50 points or more. So they're ass. They are definitely ass. They're in a rebuild. (laughs) I would say that the rebuild is going pretty well. You know, the vibes are great in Detroit right now. Mm -hmm. Um, But scoring 50 points is a hell of a feat no matter who it is. Yeah, Yeah, man. And and, and that's that's the thing. You know, I was telling Mike before the show, it's – I don't know. I don't check the comments very much on my articles anymore, but uh, something <laughs> brought me back to the, to the field goals, Facebook page today. And, and I saw there was pretty big engagement on this last article. So I clicked on, on the comments and like 60% of them were like, chill out. It's the lions. And I'm like, listen, man, I mean, I'm not going to respond or whatever, but like we get this idea. And, and I've said this before that, the difference between a good team and a bad team in the NFL is the difference between a 10 and a one. And in reality, my impression, you correct me if you think differently, the difference between a really good team and a really bad team is like a 9.5 and an 8.5. Like it's how you can see the Jags jump up and beat the bills, how the lions can 
blow out the Cardinals. And every year you see three or four of these games, you're like, whoa. Yeah, it's it's true. That's why they say it's any given Sunday. And that's what makes the NFL so intriguing and so fun because you never know what the chaos is going to look like, right? And it, it comes down to coaching and, and star quarterbacks. And there, there's a lot of factors that give you an overall advantage. But outside of that, I mean, that that's you're, you're 100% right. It, you, you get into these games and it's anybody's ball game, depending on how they execute and how they show up, uh, you know, just just mentally. You know, what's their approach? What's the, what's the vibe like? What's the rhythm like? Um, and that's where you can see these teams really, you know, surprise uh, people and, and sneak up on them. Totally. And styles make fights, right? Sometimes your strengths just are the other team's weaknesses and vice versa. Absolutely. There's a hundred percent. And that, there are games that I walk into with the Seahawks and I know, I just know that it's going to be a bad matchup. It's going to be a bad matchup just stylistically the way the team plays and everything else. It could, it could, a lot of it doesn't necessarily have to mean the talent, um, but it, you know, just stylistically in the way that they play, you know, that's why you see, the Seahawks struggle so much against the Rams, but yet they dominate the 49ers no matter right. <laughs> no matter what's going on. It's just, right. you know, there's just certain matchups that play favorably into your hands. So, obviously, this season is going to end without a playoff berth for only the second time in 10 years and is the first year during that stretch that we've seen a losing record from Seattle. Uh, I think it's safe to say we'd all be talking about the end of the season differently if we had seen this level of play earlier, but we didn't, and now here we are. So, Jake, what are your main takeaways from this year? And did Sunday's game cause you to adjust in your, any of your views about the team moving forward? Uh, yes and no. Uh, yes, in terms of if I really want to think optimistically that, okay, if you finish out the season, two really good games, two good offensive outputs, uh, you get some really good quality wins, maybe the vibe in the locker room and everything else relationally, uh, you know, the other stuff that's going on off to the side can be mended and the optimism can kick in the optimism of, Hey, we could potentially create $70 million of cap space. We've got better draft positioning than we've had in quite some time, even without a first round pick, we're going to get this right. And I, I believe that we have what it takes to make it happen. Right. From everybody's perspective, John Schneider, Jody Allen, Pete Carroll, Russell Wilson, right. We have what it takes. We have the ability to, you know, Bill Barnwell of ESPN wrote that, he, that the Seahawks are the, in his mind, the, the, the best team to go from worst to first next year. And I totally agree with that statement. If they make the right moves, they have the best ability with Russell Wilson. Now, on the other side of it is there's so much off to the side in terms of the, the, the conversations, in terms of the relationships, uh, burn bridges, things, things like that, where it's not where it's a nasty work environment. It's not anything like that. It's not like Aaron Rodgers and Brian Gutekunst where you like, it, you don't want to be in the same room as those two. Like if I'm one of the, if I'm someone that's in the same room as those guys, like I'm going to quietly try and sneak out of the room. Right. It's not like that at all. They, it, personally, relationally, it's all good. But do you believe that this group is good enough to stick together and get to the ultimate goal, which is Super Bowls? And this is where people have a hard time in this conversation. We all have experienced the Seahawks where they haven't been good. We know what that looks like. No, we weren't, you know, we weren't watching necessarily in the 70s or maybe even you know the the early 80s and things of that nature but we know the history and we yep. definitely know the 90s we definitely know the early struggles of the 2000s even with Holmgren there and what they had to build and what they built this franchise into becoming Pete Carroll and Russell Wilson they put gasoline on that and and light a match and boom like this thing is taking it to a new height new level but i do believe that there's a level of complacency I do believe the standard has changed a little bit in terms of, ah, I'm good with playoffs. I'm good with this team making the playoffs. And that just doesn't match with the people that are in that building, especially Russell Wilson. It's just not the way that he's wired. And it's not to put him on a pedestal or to put him in a different place. Like, you know, when one of those people say, what's, what's your worst trait? And you're like, well, I just care too much. You know, you're like, get out of here. <laughs> right. It's not that it's just legit. How, how individuals are wired and what are they satisfied by? 
And I, it's just that part of it and how you get it done, it's just so jumbled up right now that there needs to be some serious conversations and some serious direction given by leadership at the very top as to how this thing is going to go so that everybody is on a clear page moving forward together rather than bickering off to the side. And then when they get together during OTAs or training camp, like, Hey, we're, we're, you know, we'll put, we'll put all of our family drama and sweep it under the rug and we'll just, you know, go forward. It's gotta be, it's gotta be way more cohesive than that. And that to me is something that even in the next couple of weeks, that's not going to fix until they're really, really willing to put egos aside and sit down and talk this thing through. Man, I think that's so fascinating. And and one last question before we let you get out of here. As someone who, you know, you mentioned burned bridges. As someone who sees the game through the lens of your own experience as a high-level quarterback, what do you think Russell Wilson is hoping for over the next six or seven months? Uh, a plan that's going to get them back to winning Super Bowls. A plan that's going to get them back to uh, competing at the highest level. And that they become a franchise that... You know, when when a player, I mean, it doesn't have to be a receiver, but any player, Vaughn Miller, Odell Beckham Jr., um, anybody that comes on the market and comes available, the Seattle Seahawks are one of the first things that they think about because not just the place and the culture and, you know, all that good stuff, which is great, but because they know that they can win a Super Bowl. And here's an opportunity to do it. And that to me is ultimately what I believe Russell Wilson wants out of the next you know, however many months he wants to do it here in Seattle in the worst way possible. Um, what I can tell you is, is that he is at a point in his career where not settling would be an inaccurate depiction, but time's ticking and, yeah. you know, father time is ticking and you, you have goals and aspirations and you want to absolutely, if you have the ability to control your destiny and the way that your script is written, I, you know, you, you want to make sure that you're doing everything you can to put yourself in the best position to maximize your career and to maximize, um, you know, the winning that goes on and, and, you know, Russ, you know, named his third kid win, you know, I mean, it's just like, you're crazy, you know, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. and personally, the relationship that I have with him, you know, professionally as his private, you know, coach in the off season and as, you know, as a close friend of his, He's just, he's different and he's not easy all the time to deal with, right? It's just like, dude, like, it's okay. You know, there's, there's certain things, uh, you know, and, I, and I'm not talking about from a football perspective necessarily, but just in life, he's just such a ambitious go-getter and wants to make things happen. And he wants to be on the same page and he wants to move forward. Um, and these, everybody in that organization has had such an amazing run and have had yeah. such a great background together and relationship together that I just really view this whole situation as so completely odd as why and how they're not able to, you know, bring this whole thing together. When you see so many other franchises, despite their differences have always made it priority to be on the same page, um, to, you know, give a little where it's, it's necessary give and take always compromise, just like in marriage and in life, right? Like there's give and take, there's compromise and recognizing where it's appropriate to make that compromise so that you can get the best out of, out of your, out of your, uh, yourself and everyone around you. And that to me is where this organization has to really look hard in the mirror about what that looks like. And I'm really hopeful that everybody is willing to do that. Everybody. And I truly mean everybody. And um, I know where Russ's mind and heart is at and the conversations that he's having. And he's locked in and dedicated to finishing this season out and, and wanting to, you know, fix the prevailing problems that have been going on. Sure. Can he do it with Pete? I believe so. I believe he can. But like I said, I, I believe that there is a lot that has to be reflected upon and be willing to, when people say change and adapt and, you know, you don't, it, like Pete Carroll said, you have the essence of what you need in terms of, you know, the overall stuff. But in terms of the execution, why are we not executing better? On the football field, 
in personnel, in the draft, and what can I do to be better in that aspect? And I'm not saying Pete's not doing that, but from an organizational standpoint, everybody's got to stop doing this and start being like, yeah, I got this to do. I've got this to do. And you got ideas? Cool. You got ideas? Great. And that's where it should be at at this point in time. I've got some ideas. I just want to let you guys (laughs) know. I've got some ideas. (laughs) This is what I want to leave you guys with when it comes to that, when it comes to this specific conversation. When it comes to fixing your offensive line or other issues that you have, you have to stop going after volume and you have to start going after quality. And quality means that, yes, you're going to have to pay for it, but you got to come up with creative ways to fit it all in together. And that to me is just, it's the one thing that I've never truly understood outside of, yeah, bad drafts have forced you to spread your money thin. But if you truly want to get better, you can't always put it on one individual and expect that for, for, you know, Ben Roethlisberger, for example, 18 years of his career, that he's going to be flawless. No star quarterback has been flawless. And that's, that's what I see with Russell Wilson. This has been a bad bumpy year. This has been a bad, you know, 25 game stretch, but this is also a unique and special player that I think has amazing football left to play. And so how do you supplement that? You know, Jackson, one of the things that, uh, I'm rambling here, but there's so many thoughts about that particular yeah. issue. But people talk about Wilson's lack of mobility. I'm telling you right now, from my own eyes, Russ is just fine from a mobile standpoint. He ran for over 500 yards last year, which everybody wants to forget about and you know throw in the trash because they've got their <laughs> sure. narratives to fill, right? The guy is in better shape than what he was last year. However, he dealt with an injury, dealt with issues, um, and yeah, he's not the same kid that he was when back in 2012 to 2014, right? Where he looked like Kyler Murray, right? Running around everywhere, but he still can be an effective runner. What, what has to happen in my opinion to get somebody, even if they're declining, let's say Russell can't run very much anymore. How can you sit there and tell an individual what they can and can't do if you've never given them the same ingredients as somebody else. And that to me is where it stands with Russ. Yes, there are certain things that he doesn't do as well as some of the other quarterback, great quarterbacks in the league. But there's things that he does exceptionally well. And could those be even better if he was given some of the same ingredients, and ingredients I mean offensive line, that some of these other guys have? And no one can debate me on that because it's never been done. And if you're going to debate me on it, then you're just – you're you're just trying to ignore the obvious facts. So I think that those are interesting points that work well and mesh well with Pete and Russ and bring it together so that you can have an effective run game, a great passing game, you can unlock it all, and you can be the Green Bay Packers of what they are right now. And that would satisfy both parties. All right. End of discussion. I love it. I love it, man. I love it. I love it. Well, you know, the the one thing that a season like this does is it it provides an opportunity for introspection that good seasons don't. And, and I think that this is going to force the franchise to take a real hard look at themselves. And man, I appreciate so much you carving out the time to go as in depth with us as you did. Uh, I, I want, before we let you go, give you an opportunity to tell everyone listening where they can get more of you. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. Uh, super fun, you know, being on with you guys. And Jackson, was a blast. Mike is awesome. Um, and, you know, I for for us, you know, we, we have our own radio show from 10 to 2 every single day. Jake and Stacy on 710 ESPN Seattle. Um, if you aren't somebody that listens to the radio and you're more into podcasts, We've got that too. You can go 710sports.com, download podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts, Apple, uh, you know, Apple podcasts, Spotify, you know, it's everywhere. So just look, Jake and Stacy, we try to do our best to give you the best insight and uh, have a little fun while we're doing it. So that's the name of the game. That's awesome, man. Make sure that you're following him on Twitter as well, because if you liked what you heard today, that is what you get from Jake all the time. Uh, Honestly, he is a true fount of information when it comes to the Seahawks, when it comes to football, when it comes to the quarterback position. He's made me a smarter fan 
We're thrilled to have him on. We're going to let him get out of here. But as always, we really want to thank you guys for subscribing to the show, reading the Cigar Thoughts articles, and spreading love on social media. Speaking of, you can find me on Twitter at, at Jackson Bevins. Remember, that's J-A-C-S-O-N. No K is OK. Mike is on the bird at, at Mike Barwin, and the show itself is at Cigar Thoughts. You can find us on Instagram at, at Cigar Thoughts NFL and on Facebook at, at Seattle Cigar Thoughts. Of course, you can listen to the show and read every article at fieldgoals.com slash Cigar Thoughts. And we will be doing audio readings of the article uh, every week afterwards. So you can listen to it on the go if that's easier for you. We got the last one of the season coming up. Um, and if you have a moment, please leave us a five-star review on the podcast platform of your preference. Uh, the first season of doing this show with y'all has been a blast. I know Mike and I are really excited to see where it goes. Having great guests like Jake really does help move this thing forward. Um, we will be back next week and we'll continue intermittently throughout the playoffs and the offseason so you guys aren't getting rid of us that easy. But until then, onwards, upwards, my friends. We'll catch you soon. <laughs> <laughs>